If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited time offer, so act now. If your toddler has been diagnosed with autism or is waiting for a diagnosis, you're going to want to pay attention for the next 60 seconds. Happy Ladders is parent-led early autism therapy that empowers you, the parent, to teach your toddler essential developmental skills through play. Studies have shown that the parent-led model is highly effective while eliminating frustration over long wait lists or the worry about losing precious developmental time, all without the disruption of people coming into your home. Happy Ladders includes activities that target 150 essential developmental skills every toddler needs, as well as assessments in four different developmental areas. There's also an exclusive community of parents just like you and professional coaching to ensure success for both you and your toddler. To learn more, get a free trial, and take advantage of an exclusive limited-time offer for my listeners, visit happyladders.com. That's H-A-P-P-Y-L-A-D-D-E-R-S. Use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save 50% off the monthly membership. Plus, get a free one-on-one session as well as access to the Tantrums and Meltdown mini course. This is a limited-time offer, so act now. Hey, what's up, folks? My name is Rob Gorski, and this is the Autism Dad Podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. You guys are, like, super awesome. I really appreciate you. And uh, I'm really excited about today's episode because I, I, if you if you follow me at all, then you're probably sick to death of me talking about things like self-care. But it's so important, and it's so easy for us to lose track of ourselves in the shuffle you know, of daily life and kids and all the additional needs and work and whatever. So... Uh, my guest today is Dr. Whitney Caceres. She is a pediatrician. She's a special needs mom and an author. Uh, we're going to talk about self-care. We're going to talk about burnout. And we're going to talk about how to balance your life, you know, work and home and kids and yourself and like not losing yourself in the shuffle of all of this stuff. So it's a really important episode, guys. It's a great message. So stay tuned. We'll be right back. We're back, and today my guest is Dr. Whitney Caceres. She's here to talk about her book, The Working Mom Blueprint, Winning at Parenting Without Losing Yourself, which we'll get into in a minute. But then I think kind of the overall thing is sort of self-care and and just kind of managing life without, like I always say, just without losing my mind, because I feel like I get there quite often. (laughs) Uh, Thank you for taking the time to uh, work through the technical issues and have a conversation. So thank you. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And I think you're absolutely right. You know, when you have children that have special needs, I I have a child with special needs as well. Um, you get to that point where you feel like you're about to lose your mind or you feel like you're about to, you know, blow your top um, pretty easily. And so I think the book that I wrote is not, wasn't specifically with special needs parents, like as the only audience, but really I wrote it because I knew as a special needs parent, that like I'm in the trenches. I had to learn these principles by trial by fire, you know, in a way that were very, very intense. And so they 100% apply to the parents that are listening to this podcast. Could you give us a little bit of background information about yourself? Yep. So I'm a pediatrician, private practice pediatrician in Portland, Oregon. And I um, work part-time there. I've I've been there for about 12 years. And I also am the founder and CEO of Modern Mommy Doc, which is an online platform that is about specifically helping moms to thrive, not just survive in their motherhood journeys so that then that trickle-down effect, their kids can thrive as well. And I have two daughters. Uh, One is almost eight and one is almost five. And my oldest daughter is um, really awesome and amazing and also such a challenge. Uh, 
you know, before I had her, when I was a pediatrician, I was one of those people that people would say, like, are you going to sleep train your kids? And I'd say, oh, yeah, obviously, you know, um, are you going to make sure that they like, eat the rainbow? Oh, obviously, you know, in terms of foods and, and also in terms of my career that I really felt like, you know, what's with it with these parents? Like, get it together, get some childcare. What's the big deal? And I felt like it, it shouldn't be that big a deal to juggle both things, to, to juggle work and parenthood. And in my own office, I was one of those go-getter, really committed people, most doctors are, and felt like if I just put in the work in my job, and then when I become a parent, it should all work out fine. And then I had my first daughter, and she was all kinds of colicky. She started bouncing and rocking um, to go to sleep when she was about nine months old. And she has continued to do that since and does that about every other night. Whenever we have babysitters, they get <laughs> very alarmed. And we, we, she's also considered continued to develop a lot of sensory issues. She has a sensory processing disorder. Um, she had a lot of emotional dysregularity moments. We actually thought she had autism we went down the path of the psychologists and the life coaches and the psychiatrists and all that. She's been diagnosed um, with a severe anxiety disorder and dysregulatory disorder. And, um, and so through my experience of, of having her and then another more typical child, that's my second child. I, I realized like, actually it's harder than it looks in terms of being a parent and especially a working parent. And that when I don't take care of myself, that, I break, um, that I'm even as a pediatrician with all of the book knowledge, with all of the intellectual capacity and training and training other people to be able to take care of their kids. Well, but I am not a good parent when I don't take care of myself. Um, and, and not a very good human either. So, um, it brought me on this journey to try to figure out for myself, um, as I was feeling really conflicted, really overwhelmed, really burnt out, stressed, how could I create a life that was better for me and my family? And not because we would get rid of all the chaos in our lives or all the challenges in our lives, because those just do not go away. But so not to like, you know, calm the storm, but more, how do I ride the wave, you yeah. know, um, of what happens in our household? And then um, how do I help other moms to do the same? And how do I help other dads? And how do I help other parents um, to try to ride that wave so that they're not crashed by it? What were some of the challenges that you found trying to balance like your work life and your home life? Yeah, I think the biggest thing was I had been someone prior to kids where I felt like I was capable of giving it 100% in every single area. So if I was at work and someone asked me to see an extra patient at the end of the day, I would say yes, because I thought, well, that's being a good doctor is being like 100% in it all the time, always the yes person. Um, and so when I became a mom, I applied that too to my kids. Like if my kids need me, then I'm hundred percent there. You know, if the laundry needs to get done, then I have like the 100% clean house, you know? Um, if we need to have social obligations and be hundred percent in on that, my parents need me too. they're aging, like got to make sure I take care of them. And, and so I think really the biggest challenge was this idea of letting go and understanding the concept that some balls that I juggle in my life are rubber mm -hmm. and some balls that I juggle in my life are glass. And only the balls that are glass are the ones that I need to make sure stay in the air. And the rest of them, I need to pass off to somebody else. I need to put in a bucket for another day or I need to let them drop completely. And it was when I learned that lesson of like, I cannot do anything well if I try to do it all. Um, that I need to choose to have some selective mediocrity <laughs> to say like, I am on purpose going to do this in a mediocre way so that I can do this other really important thing, having connection with my kiddo, um, taking care of my own mental health, making time for therapy, um, having a date night with my husband, um, doing a passion project that I really care about that gives me a ton of energy. Um, if I want to do those things, there's only so many hours of the day. So that means other balls have to drop or actually decide the dishes are going to get half done or they're going to sit in the sink for an extra day or, you know, that text is going to have to wait. And then be okay with that. That's the hard part, I think, and, is is being okay with it, right? Yeah, is being okay with it. And I think that this is the, the thing that made me the most okay with it was 
I think especially when I'll speak for myself as a, as a woman, I, I have traditionally had a hard time saying no to things, right? I'm a people pleaser. I think a lot of women are trained to be kind of like pleasers of people. And so just the idea of like, I'm just going to say no, because I'm just like one of those people that's like strong, I have boundaries. That was more difficult for me, that, that kind of rhetoric. It was a lot easier for me to say, I'm going to choose to say no to certain things because I'm saying yes to something else right? Like I am choosing, these are the things that I want to be at the center of my life. These are the things that make it so that the wheel of my life spins in a way that's actually healthy. And so I have to say no to these other things if I want these things to work at all. And I don't know if you've had this experience with your own kids, but it's like, if I don't prioritize sleep and food (laughs) for my daughter, doesn't matter. I could like sign her up for all the camps. Like we could go to all the therapies. We could do all the things does not matter if she's hangry we're in a bad spot yeah if she, you know if she's anxious because she's stressed because we've had too many people over that day my husband's a pretty social guy i'm not but my husband gets a lot of energy off that and my daughter feels really worried all day long and she's holding in that stress you better believe for the next two or three days we're gonna have a miserable time as, as a family so uh, you know i had to learn to say like i'm saying yeah no to these things because that's gonna allow me to say yes to these things that are then gonna like Make it so I can say yes to whatever I want, you know, because I'll have that foundation. It's a trade-off and it's a balance. And we, we used to call that, well, we still call it uh, emotional fallout. When we, when our kids, you know, like if you want to go to Christmas Eve or something, like whatever, whatever family, you know, situation you have and you know, going into it, that it's going to be overstimulating, especially for kids with sensory mm-hmm. issues. I used to have to weigh like, where am I in life right now? Like, I'm going to have to deal with whatever happens afterwards. Is it worth it to do this? Can, you know, can I, can I, can I manage the fallout afterwards? And is it fair to my kids who are going to be the ones who have to experience that, you know, the meltdowns or the overstimulation or, you know, whatever it is that they have to deal with. And it is tough to balance. Did you, did you find pushback from people or like, did you ever feel judged or, Absolutely. I mean, I think the first place that I felt judgment was in myself. Like I want to be vulnerable as a pediatrician because I feel like it's important for other people who maybe don't have the educational training to hear that. But like I have had times where I have felt so much shame that here I am, this person who should know it all, who should have kids who are maybe like the best behaved, who I should be able to figure out their sleep and their, you know, eating and like, I should be able to like find the best therapist, like, because that's my job. Right. And like, I couldn't. And then also shame of like, gosh, like the world looks at me and says like, you should kind of be able to do it all. Like what's wrong with you? You know? So I think the, the first place that I found pushback was within myself. And I had to, as you're kind of talking about, develop this ability to pause and have some like mindful self-compassion and reflection, which is a practice of being like, what's the rub right now? What are the choices? What's the inner conflict that's happening? What's going to be the fallout? What's the trade-off? What's the benefit? That takes some mindfulness. That takes like slowing down for a second and thinking about big picture, like zooming out. So that's number one. I mean, the second is even from my immediate family, like my parents, my husband's parents, Lord love them. They don't always understand what our needs are. I mean, I think our friends actually have been much more supportive because they're not in it with us as much. You know, we've definitely had to lay boundaries for uh, our extended family to say things like, yeah, no, we can't actually come to Christmas at your house. That will be horrible for our family and we realize it's the family tradition that's how you've always done it but what we need is a family vacation where maybe we meet you at like a neutral place like at a beach house or something our kids have a lot of freedom to get their sensory stuff out they have a pool they have an ocean they have a sand and there's at night it's pretty quiet and they have the ability to not feel like there's too many people there so um and in the beginning you know we we um we got I think, um, yeah, a, a lot of like verbal like questioning. And as we've gotten older and I think people have been around our kids and they've seen that like, wow, it actually does work when, um, when we do it in a way that actually is useful for our family. 
that that started to build more, more respect. And we've had really clear communication. Like we want to be a part of your family. We love you. We want to spend time with you. And these are the things that for our family will make it so that it's not stressful and won't create negative consequences for us. What types of sensory things does your daughter struggle with? Is it like, like in my house, the big thing is like texture and there used to be a lot of auditory related things like bright lights and stuff like that, but it's mostly food and clothes are the big ones in my house. Mm -hmm. You know, like we'll, we'll go through 10 shirts to find one that doesn't itch or, (laughs) you know, chicken nuggets all have to look the same or there's something wrong with them and they won't, you know, they don't taste right or something like that. Are those sort of similar to what? Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of the things for my daughter are about, um, noise. Um, so like she, a lot of times will try to turn up a podcast, like super loud (laughs) in the middle of the room and do a puzzle while the rest of us are trying to like have a conversation because she's trying to drown us out because it's distracting to her, you know? Um, or if like the music is too loud, she'll get scared. Um, the other thing I would say is like the visual of, um, for example, like if we're at a theme park and there's just like too many kids around and the Ferris wheel spinning and the roller coasters going, she likes to be on the teacups that spin and kind of get that like, you know, deep stim going for her, but she really doesn't want to be around all the people with all the noises and all the chaos. Like Costco would be like her nemesis, you know, (laughs) nightmare. Um, so yeah, I, I, those are the big things for her. And then, yeah, she definitely has also some things about like her pants can't fit too tight and she doesn't want her shorts and the food's too slimy or that they touched or that type of thing. But really it feels like it's more visual and auditory for her. All right. Yeah, I can, I can relate. I, I feel like as my kids, my oldest is 21 now, my youngest just turned 13 and then I have a 15 year old in the middle and he, they, it seems like as they've gotten older, they, they do better and I don't know if it's that they do better or they, they compensate better. Like, I, I think the sensory issues are kind of always there, but they just sort of find ways of uh, overcoming that or, or kind of like they can absorb more before they reach a, a threshold where they get frustrated or overwhelmed or something like that. Uh, so it does, it does hopefully, you know, get better. <laughs> yeah, no, it does. And I see that in my patients too. And I believe that for my daughter, you know, I think the thing also that happens for kids and for parents as they get a little older is, my daughter likes to, or doesn't like to, she does suck on her two fingers still. She's done that since she was three months old and um, helps her sleep. It helps her when she's feeling stressed. And, um, you know, she's aware of it. She's like, these kids tease me about it. They say that I'm a baby. Grandma said, I need to stop doing that because I could get germs, you know, and they're right. But at the same time, she can't stop it. And so there will be probably a moment when someone teases her enough at school that she doesn't do it and she finds some other compensatory way to help herself and it's really interesting as a parent I'm sure you found this too as you're trying to support your kids advocate for them with teachers at schools but then also help them to move along so that they don't have things that unnecessarily make them a target from other kids or from other people that brings up a a point that I wanted to ask you Um, when it comes to helping your kids to work through some of these things so that they can um, maybe better, more comfortably navigate life going forward. It sort of seems like it's controversial to some extent, whether or not you let your kids like help them to work through these things or you just let them avoid them. Mm-hmm. Is it better? Like, like, is it better to help them navigate through it so they can overcome it? Cause that's kind of like what I've always done. Cause I feel like, like I'm not always going to be here and the world's not always an accepting place. Mm-hmm. And if you need to navigate the world, there are some things you just have to be able to do. You have to wear a shirt when you go to the store. You have to wear shoes. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, there's you can't go to school without pants on. Like there are mm-hmm. certain things that you just have to be able to do. And as uncomfortable as it may be to get to that place, I think long-term they're better f- for it. Do you find that people are resistant to that or that there's, is it, is it about finding a balance or kind of just pushing through it, I guess, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I think it is about finding a balance. I think it's about accepting the kid where they are. And um, even our like family therapist that works with uh, my oldest daughter and us would say this, you know, it's about accepting a kid where they are, even naming for them. I noticed that you suck your fingers when you feel anxious. 
I'm, I'm so glad that you have something that works for you right now to calm you down. Like you found something. And then if you notice them finding something that's not that later to be like, I noticed you didn't need to suck your fingers. Instead, you did this puzzle to calm yourself down, you know, it's like moving them and then saying, you know, I bet as you get older, you won't need to do that activity to calm you down because you're going to continue to grow and to develop so that they don't feel stuck in it, but they also don't feel shamed by it. Right. So I think it's that line of like a little push, a little pull, a little push, a little pull. Um, my daughter with her anxiety, she, this summer really, really, really wanted to go to overnight sleepaway camp with her friend. And, um, you know, she told us and we're like, this is a horrible idea, you know, to each other. But at the same time, she has anxiety. So if she says something that she really wants to do, we're going to not be like, no, you know, you don't get to do that because you have anxiety. Everybody else gets to do it, even though she's going to be rocking and potentially sucking her fingers and singing herself to sleep while she's there. Got closer to it. She's like, you know, I just feel like this isn't going to be the thing that works for me. Like I started thinking about it. What am I going to do at night? I have all these things about it that I realized I didn't even think about that before. We're like, okay. So first we tried to problem solve with her. Well, is there something that we could do that could make it so you would be able to cope while you're there? Could we do like one night you're there and then we see how it goes? That was a no-go for right now. So then we said, okay, well, if we're not going to go to that camp, we have a couple things that need to happen then. A, I got to be able to get my money back because you begged me to go to this camp. (laughs) Two, you know, B, I need to be able to find you another camp for you to go to because I can't just hang out with you all day long. I got to work, you know. Um, And C, we had to decide then, okay, then next year or in another year, we'll give it another shot. We're not going to say like, no, we can never go to camp. We're going to say, okay, then next year, or even this time, what's one thing we could do that could move you closer. Could we drive out there and you could see what it looks like this time and get a tour so that next year you're going to be ready to go. So I think it's all about like moving people in that direction. And that takes a lot of mental energy for a parent, you know, the disappointment of your kid, you know? And so that's why you got to take care of yourself. So that, that way you do have that, that bandwidth, that energy. That's a good segue into uh, burnout, right? What is burnout? So burnout is basically getting to the place in whatever work you do. And I would consider taking care of a special needs child work. It's just unpaid work, unpaid labor, right? Yeah. Um, some people like me do paid labor at my office job and then unpaid labor at home, right? Some people just do unpaid labor at home. So whatever work that you're doing, that it becomes so stressful that it wears you out so much um, that it's so chronically draining that then you start to decide, we don't even start to decide. You start to feel like, you know, I don't even really care anymore. You know, I can't even give it my all. I'm not even as creative. I'm not as focused. Um, You're more irritable if something goes wrong. Um, You're less engaged with the people that you work with or with the work that you're doing. You're more easy to get frustrated with your child if your work is unpaid labor at home. Um, In my clinical work, for example, when I've experienced burnout, it looks like someone is there for a two-month office visit for their well visit. They're telling me about their sleep. In my mind, I'm like, I don't, I don't know, figure it out. You know, um, the, you know, the vaccines, I'm like checking off the boxes, but I'm like, can someone else make sure that this is right? You know, um, someone sends me an email and I'm like rolling my eyes right in my head. I mean, I think I've always been able to maintain professionalism, but that's like, when you think characteristically of like the angry doctor who someone comes in and says them to them and they like blow up, right? That's the person who's reached a part, a part of a point of burnout. And when you're with your children, burnout a lot of times looks like you don't have the energy to problem solve. It means that you're chronically tired. It means that you are less able to be fully engaged. Your kids are talking to you. It's actually like, should be a good communication moment. They're excited to share something with you and you like don't even care. And yeah, that you're, that you're more frustrated with them when they do have meltdowns or, or, um, blowups that you're, you have a hard time having really a lot of sympathy or compassion for them. That compassion fatigue is the other word that people use um, synonymous with burnout. And so it's, I mean, burnout or caregiver, I always refer to as caregiver burnout specifically when you're dealing with, with a, with a caregiver, but like, it's really hard. I've experienced burnout too many times. I think, honestly, Mm -hmm. how do you, how does someone bounce back from that? 
So, um, you know, this is lame, but a lame way to say it, but it's a reality. It's like, you got to name it to tame it first. <laughs> right. So you first have to acknowledge the fact that you do feel burnout, you know, with the help of a therapist, with the help of a good friend. Um, if you are skilled and trained in mindful self-compassion with yourself, just naming like, gosh, I'm at a point where I just not care telling somebody, um, even if it's yourself that you feel that way. So recognizing it, validating it, like it makes sense that I, so like emotion coaching yourself, it makes sense that I am burnt out. You know, I have this autistic child who is more challenging than a lot of other kids. I have been working my hardest to make it work for them and to get the chicken nuggets to be formed exactly correctly. And they still are upset. You know, we went glamping instead of roughing it camping and they threw a huge fit because there was a pit toilet, not a regular toilet, right? Like that makes sense. I'd be so frustrated and burnt out from trying so hard. And then that common humanity of, I bet that I could fill a policy full of other parents who would feel exactly the same way. I'm not alone. I, I am not like a bad person for feeling this way. Right? right. So I think that's step number one is that pause of like emotion coaching yourself. And then you can figure out what are the things that I need to do right now to address it. Sometimes when I've experienced burnout, what I need to do is tell somebody I, I need a break. And I don't know exactly what I even need. What I need to do right now is just remove myself from the situation so I can like process and have time so that I don't create any more damage to anybody, you know? Um, so my husband, like, I, I need to go for five hours and like sit in my car and watch a movie. Like, you know, th that's what I need to do because I'm sober now. Um, that's not a healthy strategy for like the long term, but sometimes for the short term, that is, that is the thing that needs to happen. So you have time just to process. Um, the better way then to deal with burnout when you experience it is to think, okay, what things do I need to put into place for myself so that I have like daily doses and doses throughout the week of restorative practices. It does not have to be fancy five minutes of during the day in the shower, you take five extra minutes, lock the door and you have the time to yourself just to like be with you and your feelings. Five minutes of you're sitting listening to like an inspiring or like an upbeat song, you know, by yourself. Um, five minutes of journaling, five minutes of a meditation, um, guided meditation or by yourself, right? Um, there's one that's called a Mindful Mamas Club for those of you who are moms who is what's amazing. It goes through all the emotions that you might have, like rage, resentment, irritation towards mm -hmm. your kids, which is really, really good. And then the other thing I would say is to decide that as you're trying to be like productively helpful for your child, it takes so much energy to care for a special needs child that resting at regular intervals is productive. Like right. you will be more productive with your child. This is the same at work, but as a parent as well, if you have pockets of time that are just for you to rest and that are not about performance. So for me, like, my favorite thing is to be in the dark on a spin bike with like Justin Bieber blaring in the speakers as loud as humanly possible and like lost. And like, I feel like I'm like at a club or like a concert, you know, mm -hmm. like that's my like happy place. Um, someone else's happy place might be having a coffee with a friend. Someone else's happy place might be reading a good book. Someone else's happy place might be taking a walk, watching a movie, whatever it is. Right. But like, you deserve to have at least three times a week, if not more moments where nobody needs you, where you are not responsible for anything else. And for those of us who have partners, you know, trading off with our partners is a good way to do that. If you have other friends that are in your community, a special needs community, those are amazing people, you know, having caregivers, we only, all of us only have a certain budget for certain things, but I would say that like the money that I've spent on investing in quality caregivers who can watch my kid for an hour that I trust, um, has been so much more beneficial than any money that I've ever spent on like clothing or the furniture in my house or, you know, books right. that I buy or vacation, like those consistent times, um, investing in myself for those times is the thing that really has made it so that then I can come back to my kids in a more restful, a restful place. I'm sitting, I'm, I'm, as we're talking, I'm just sitting here kind of like, I'm listening to you and I'm going through in my head, how overwhelming life can be when you're a special needs parent. And mm -hmm. 
and I, I don't know where I am right now in, in life. Um, that sounds really weird, but like, <laughs> but I am, I'm a single dad. I'm raising all three of my kids completely on my own. Uh, you know, like I have my parents help out, you know, from time to time when they can. And, uh, they're always there. I have very supportive family. My ex-in-laws are, are very supportive, but there's limits to what people can do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, we survived a year and three months of COVID lockdown because my oldest is immunocompromised. So it was me and my three kids in my house alone for, yeah. you know, 15 months. Uh, I feel, I was just talking to somebody about this. One of my concerns as a, as a, as somebody who is, I feel like self-aware enough to recognize that I, I experience a lot of stress. I don't know that I, you know, when I, when I feel like I'm okay, is it, is it because I am so used to the stress that I don't feel it like I should, but it still has that same physical and emotional impact, you know, over time. And so many parents, they, they don't recognize how stressed out they are or, you know, I'll, I'll have someone, you know, I talk to parents all the time and they have, you know, one special needs kid and they think they can't be that bad because I have three and I make it look easy. Right. But that's not how it works. Right. Everything is relative. And how, how can people learn to recognize how stressed out they are or how overwhelmed they are or how exhausted they are before they hit that point of no return where, where they've burnt the candle at both ends to the point where there's nothing left and they become massively depressed or they become physically and emotionally bankrupt. You know, how, how can we help families to, to correct those issues before it reaches that breaking point? Yeah, I think that's a great question. And, um, ironically, it's like the chicken and the egg, right? Like when I do those practices of taking the five minutes by myself every day and taking the hour three times a week, I don't like feel great at the beginning of those times every single day. It's like half the time I'm writing in my journaling thing, like, Oh, I feel so stressed. Like, but it's because I have the moment to stop and realize it, you know? So I've been in the middle of a exercise class or out with a friend. And like, you finally have this chance to relax. You're on a vacation without your kids. And like, that's when you start crying, yeah. you know, that's when you release. Right. So I think, um, part of it is that you have to give yourself the space to have that vulnerability with yourself so that you can recognize exactly how stressed out you are. And I will say that as like a chronically performance driven person that I just read an article about this for um, psychology today, that especially for women, it's like we're addicted to this, this productivity to feeling productive in part because it like gives us value. It's like part of our worth as women, I think is just like I'm productive, 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 but also because it's like when you're busy like that over and over and over again, it's like, it feels bad to be really still. And I think some, yeah. Right. And sometimes as a parent of a special needs kid, it almost feels worse to like slow down and go like, I feel really burnt out stressed right now. Like it feels better to just be like, okay, what do they need? I got to buy the toilet paper. I need to sign them up for, you know, school. I got to make sure that they got their lunchbox. Right. Okay. I'm tired at the end of the day, but like that somehow feels like a little better that like, cause I'm like, Oh, well I, I did a lot today. Of course I'm really tired than it does initially to get kind of quiet with yourself and small with yourself and go inward with yourself to have self-reflection and to be like, wow, I'm in kind of a bad spot. Okay. At the end of that five minutes, I feel better. Okay. This is the thing I need to be not in this bad spot. You know, at the end of the hour, wow, I feel like amazingly better. Huh? When I do this three times a week, all of a sudden I notice I'm able to notice there's an absence of that stress. Like a lot of times for me, when I have a feeling of relief or um, when burnout goes away, it's less that I feel like amazing. It's that like, I just don't feel like I have that like clutching choking happening yeah. at my neck, you know? And so I think it's making the space that actually allows you to, to notice, to and recognize I, it. And I, and I, I totally agree. And I think it's also one of the things 
that I have recognized and it, it took me way too long to, to recognize this, but I always tell parents like it's, you're allowed to feel the way that you feel like mm-hmm. feeling frustrated with my kids uh, doesn't make them bad kids or me a bad parent. And no. you're allowed, even if your child has special needs, it doesn't absolve them from being annoying. Like it, they, like yeah. they, they are still kids underneath all of that stuff. And you know, you're allowed to be frustrated or overwhelmed uh, resentful, like whatever, whatever it is that you feel as a human, you're allowed to feel those things. It's, it's more about what you do with those feelings and how you manage them than it is about beating yourself up because you're human. Like we all have very mm-hmm. real limitations. And one of the flaws that I think so many of us fall into is we, we have to give our kids a hundred percent all the time. Like they come first no matter what. And it's, yeah. it's well intentioned, but horribly misguided. And my therapist told me one time, you know, you've got to be selfish before you can be selfless. And I thought like, Mm -hmm. Hmm, that seems so counterintuitive, but it's true. It's just a better way of, you know, putting the oxygen mask on first, a better way of saying that, but it's so hard for parents to, to prioritize themselves, you know? And Mm -hmm. and if you're married, you know, you, you, I was always, I was, I was always told that, you know, you prioritize yourself first so that you're the best version of yourself. You can do more with that. And you prioritize mm-hmm. your, your partnership or your marriage, because then you're a united front, you're stronger together. Mm-hmm. And then you can, both of you can focus on the kids and, and, but for a lot of people, it seems counterintuitive to do that. They just pour and pour and pour and pour and pour until they have nothing left. I, I think it's really important that we, we recognize how important it is to take care of ourselves and make ourselves a priority so that we can be the best version of ourselves and we can better handle all the things that come along, whether you're just a parent or you're a parent to special needs kid, or you're just a human, you know, doing whatever, like you've, you got to be able to, to, to do that. Um, mm-hmm. when it comes to your book and I kind of, I kind of feel like this probably ties in, what was the inspiration behind writing that? Like, is it a lot of personal experience and just kind of helping other people to avoid some of those pitfalls that you had to kind of learn the hard way? Yeah. I mean, I think most people, when they write a book, that's kind of a inspirational or like self-help type of book, which this really is, it gives Mm -hmm. practical tips, but really at its core, that's what it is. They write it like your story, the the trial that you went through will be like the survival guide for somebody else. You know, Brene Brown said something to that effect. And I think that's really what this is. It's like, this was like, I did it like not wrong, but like a trial by fire. These are all the lessons that I learned. And I have this huge benefit of being intimately involved with other people's lives, typical kids and kids who are differently wired. And seeing their parents and seeing the commonalities of the struggles that they all faced. Mm -hmm. And that when I went through my own struggles, I started talking to all these other parents in clinic. And that that actually started to become like, in some ways, like even more interesting to me than all of the like other stuff that I was talking to them about. And like, we would end up just like jamming on what was happening with them with work and at home and what was happening with them with trying to um, advocate for their child with their IEP and what was happening with them with trying to find a caregiver. And like, those were the places that I felt like I really resonated and was human with other people Mm -hmm. that came in contact with me. And that I found this like common thread of all these people that said, yes, I feel chronically conflicted. I feel chronically like I'm trying to do it all, but not doing anything well. And I would tell them, you know, I'm working on this book. They'd be like, oh, please. Um, We created a a video, a brand video for my website and also for the book. And um, it really focused on this idea of going from conflicted to centered. And we put it out there on YouTube and I sent it to a lot of different contacts that I had, conferences and things. And people would write back to me and say, I felt seen for the first time in my parenting experience, I felt seen. So that was really my impetus was to have people feel seen and then have them feel like there are solutions and to have those solutions not be like health, wealth, and prosperity. Like we're just going to manifest that everything's going to be amazing in your life. (laughs) Practical ways of managing it. 
Yeah, more like life's hard, yeah. especially with the kid with special Life is so hard. And look at the pandemic. It came, it shut us all down. You were home with your kids. My kids started regressing and peeing all over my carpets and jumping on her sister and saying she's going to kill her. I mean, like, things got real, real in my house, you know? <laughs> so, like, that's never going to, that's never going to go away, you know, in, in, in our lives. But what do we do so that even when those things are happening, we can still be okay like at our core we can still like be grounded you know like it's okay to not be okay all the time and like you don't have to be happy but how can I be grounded what can I like what framework can I use to kind of have a north star so that when things get off track I can look to that and be like okay it's cool I'm still I have a path I have a way I'm moving forward these are the things I care about the most it's not going to be perfect but I have my priorities straight I'm in alignment with what I want to be in alignment with that's a really interesting way of looking at it. I, oh man, it's, it is, it's really hard when, and I, I've said this a million times in different interviews and whatever, but like I wake up every morning knowing that I'm not enough to meet the needs of my kids that day. Like there's nothing yep. that I can do that's going to be enough. And yep. And that is a really horrible feeling. And I, and I had to finally get to a point where it's like, you know what, even if there were three of me, that still wouldn't be enough. Like, like sometimes yeah. kids are full-time jobs in and of themselves. And then you add the, the additional challenges or the additional needs on top of that. And, and it just, you feel like talk to so many parents, including myself who feel like we're failures because we can't, do everything that everyone else does. Like I, I avoid Facebook because I don't want to see what my high school friends are doing because they're probably not dealing with most of the stuff that I'm dealing with. And they like, all you see is these, these uh, bits and pieces of people's lives and you compare it to the struggles that you're going through and then you always lose. And it's when, when you're a special needs parent, that is, I mean, that is just magnified a, a million times over because nothing is going to be perfect. Sometimes, you know, your, your success in that day is that everybody survived or that your kids actually mm-hmm. ate because you found something that they mm-hmm. were willing to eat or that they wore pants for half the day or, you know what I mean? Like there's, mm-hmm. there's so many things that the world at large, I think takes for granted and, and we don't get enough of that, that, that feeling mm-hmm. of normalcy, like normal, like I hate the word normal, but, but, I think you, you need some normalcy. Like you have to feel normal. Mm-hmm. You have to feel validated and, and that you're not alone and that there's other people out there who get it. And, mm-hmm. and there's nothing wrong with needing to feel that way. I don't think. And, and, um, and I guess so it's all, it's all kind of part of that journey and balancing things out and, and, and finding a path forward and kind of forgiving yourself for not being superhuman because, we're doing a job that requires superhuman abilities and we have very real, you know, human limitations, but we just keep going and we keep trying and we keep building and we keep, you know, getting back up when we fall and and whatever. But have you gotten any feedback on, on the book? Like a response? Yeah. Yes, absolutely. I mean, people, um, have been saying like, I wish I had this, you know, the the older people who had two or three books is like, I wish I had this my first kid. Um, I, I think also just that feeling of like validation, mm-hmm. you know, of, um, especially for the special needs parents of like, wow, this person gets it. I mean, I'm with you. Like we, there are a lot of things we can't do in our family, um, that other families can do that are just out of it. The, they're just not in the, in the cards for us. Um, and that's disappointing and there's loss there and disappointment. And I remember like our, our therapist who works with us around my oldest, um, said to my husband, you know, a year ago or so, like well, he was having a hard day and a hard time with her. And she, she was like, I just want to remind you that like, you're an amazing dad and that you have like an exceptionally awesome kid, but who was like exceptionally challenging. If she didn't have those challenges, you wouldn't be talking to me about this because the other strategies you were using would work, Mm -hmm. but she's the kiddo who like the typical strategies just don't work. 
And so no wonder you have to get extra help. No wonder even the things that you've tried before don't work sometimes, you know, that worked before don't work sometimes. No wonder it's like, sometimes you like just go, gosh, like we got to the end of the day and nobody killed each other. We did great. (laughs) I I didn't say anything mean to you. We're good. You know what I mean? Like, um, (laughs) so yeah. So, so so people who are special needs parents, they 100% get it. I think, um, the other people who have been just so, uh, receptive and really positive about the book have been these moms who are like taught this idea of lean in to your career. Like if you want to be like part of the game, if you want to have career advancement, if you want to reach the C-suite, what you need to do is just like give it your all and like play the game and don't act like you're a parent when you're at work. And I think, um, my work and there's other people who are creating this work too, are just having this battle cry of we can no longer pretend like parents don't have kids, expect them to work like they don't have kids and expect them to parent like they don't have work or they don't have to bring in some type of income somehow. And so we have to make it that we are accepting kind of like the dual identity, the dual reality for these moms so that they can choose when they want to lean in when out, and lean out and so that they have the support they need. And especially for parents who have special needs kids, that their work cultures are places that are accepting and supportive of them and understand that there are seasons of life where maybe they're not going to be as productive, but man, if they're whole humans who are able to attune to the needs of their children in particularly challenging times, they're going to come back as like so loyal to you and like give their best work overall. That's, I, I really like that. Um, I really like that. I, I think as, as a society, I, th- I think there should, there, we need, there needs to be a shift towards that, you know, where, where parents don't have to feel like they have to choose between either being a parent or working, mm-hmm. you know, a way where you can kind of blend the two uh, so that it's, they're not, you know, mutually exclusive and, and you can kind of do uh, whatever makes you happy, plus be happy at home with your family and your kids can be whatever and marriage does well and like all of those things. I think that's really, really important. Uh, and it's, I think, overlooked a lot or not not uh, fostered in the workplace. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. What do you, what do you want the, like if there's one takeaway from your book that you want parents to walk away from with, what would that be? Yeah, it's this. You know, when you turn 80, And you are at your birthday celebration and people are raising the champagne to you. There's things that they're going to say about how you lived your life and things that define you. And the reality is you cannot control, like we said, all the factors that come your way. You can't control the circumstances of your life. You can't control the, the traumas that happen but you can control where are the places that you put your time and energy. Only you are responsible for that. And when I turned 80, I want it to be that people said, wow, she knew what her priorities were and she lived her life in alignment with those priorities. And she is content for it. So that would be my charge to people is just to, um, to recognize the steps to doing that are creating a framework around what are the things that matter most to you. You have to know what those things are mm-hmm. so that those can be your glass balls. And then you can find a way to deal with all the other balls that are out there, <laughs> you know, but first and foremost, defining what are your glass balls? How are you going to juggle those? And then the rest of the stuff we can deal with. Um, but that's the first and foremost thing is just deciding like, Hey, can't control everything. Can't promise you health and wealth and happiness all the days of your life. But I can, you know, I can promise you that if you decide I am going to be the type of person who puts my time and energy on the things that matter most to me, that's, that's where the money is. That's where, that's where the peace and presence are found. Well, I really like that too. That's really good. Um, where can people find the book? 
You can find the book, The Working Mom Blueprint, Winning at Parenting Without Losing Yourself, wherever books are sold. Amazon's probably the easiest place to okay. go looking for it. And then you can find out more about us um, on the gram. We're at Modern Mommy Doc, and we're okay. actually starting a new member space. So we're excited about that. Um, we're cool. going to have a special channel that's just for special needs parents too. Um, so that's a place to find more community. I know all of us are always searching for more community. And then you can follow us. We blog weekly, do newsletters at I will have all of those links and all that information in the show notes so people can just click and not have to remember because I don't even remember what date is most of the time anymore. So <laughs> clicking is a lot easier than trying to remember that. Uh, thank you very much. I, I really appreciate the conversation and I, and I, I like the way that you, th- you kind of think about or you approach uh, burnout and self-care. It's a little bit different than I guess how I've always thought about it. And I, I like kind of having my thought process challenged a little bit because it helps me to gain perspective and maybe formulate kind of new approaches to life and new paths going forward. So I I really appreciate it. Uh, Thank you very, very much. Absolutely. It's my pleasure to be here. I will, uh, yeah, have all your information and show if you want social links and stuff like that, if you get that to me, I'll get all that stuff in there too. And Thursday, it's Thursday. Mm Mm-hmm. I'm saying it's Thursday. I'm not asking. I'm, I, I know it now. I, I'm okay. confident. In, I'm confident it's Thursday. Uh, have a great rest of your week and Thanks, uh, a great weekend. I really appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. It was really nice to connect with you. Thank you. Take care. Yeah. Bye. Thank you too. Bye. Before I close things out today, I just want to say thank you to Dr. Caceres for taking the time to come on a show and talking to us about her book, The Working Mom Blueprint, Winning at Parenting Without Losing Yourself. It's so important that we find a balance in life between work and home and relationships and our kids and, you know, not losing ourselves along the way. And it's hard to do, right? It's it's easy to lose yourself. It's easy to not take care of yourself. It's easy to put off things like self-care because you know, taking that time out of your day and taking it, you know, it feels like you're taking it away from your kids, you're taking it away from work or whatever, but you have to take care of yourself. It's so important. Thank you very much for coming on and talking to us about that, helping to educate us about it. You guys can check out our book at Amazon. The links will be below. I, I really, I really appreciate your time and your insights and your willingness to share to help us sort of navigate life a little bit better. So thank you. As for me, you can find me at theautismdad.com. All my social links are at the top of the page. You can subscribe to this podcast and any one of your favorite podcast listening apps. I don't have a preference. You just hit that subscribe button. I'd really appreciate it. And if you haven't already done so, if you could rate the podcast, I would really appreciate that as well because uh, that helps me to kind of learn what I'm doing right and wrong and what you guys like and don't like. And it just sort of helps me to grow. So it's like constructive criticism, right? So I, I appreciate that. Anyhow, I hope you guys have a great weekend. Please stay safe, get vaccinated, wear your mask, do everything you got to do to keep your loved ones and yourself safe during this COVID pandemic. And uh, I will talk to you guys next week. See you later. Bye. Autistic kids can sometimes struggle to learn new skills, such as riding a bike, reading, or simply having a conversation to a high level of proficiency and automaticity. Brainiac is a brain enhancement program that gets to the root of the problem. It builds stronger brain and body connections that elevate learning capacity within four to six months. Brainiac cross-trains motor movement, visual, auditory, and cognitive thinking connections using fun, interactive video games. Strengthened connections allow kids to learn new skills and perform them automatically with more confidence and greater independence. Brainiac is for homes and schools. Visit canoe.com, that's K-I-N-U-U dot com, and be sure to use the code THEAUTISMDAD at checkout to save $500. It's a limited time offer and it will expire on May 31st.